The following audio presentation is from Parkwood Baptist Church. The purpose of Parkwood Baptist Church is to glorify God by laboring together for the growth of all believers while going with the gospel to all peoples. More information about Parkwood Baptist Church is available at parkwoodonline.org. That's parkwoodonline.org. Galatians chapter 3 is where we are. We'll pick up with verse 1 today and work our way through verse 9. If you're new to Parkwood, the way we handle preaching here is verse by verse through a book of the Bible. So this is where we're at today. So we pick up here and study uh, and seek to be faithful to what God says through his word. So let's stand together as I read the word of the Lord. <clears throat> o foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish having begun by the spirit? Are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain? If indeed it was in vain. Does he who supplies the spirit to you and work miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham and the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Let's pray. Lord, we ask now that you would help us to clearly make sense of this text and by faith to believe your word in Jesus name. Amen. You can be seated. So here's the big idea of this text. Now, if you're lost already and say, I, I don't even know what this is talking about. This requires some background biblical knowledge and I'm gonna try to give you the essentials as we work through this sermon. So here's the big idea, that, that the children of Abraham are identified by faith in Christ alone, not by an outward sign. So I'm gonna date myself. Father Abraham and many sons, many sons had Father Abraham, I am one of them and do you understand that's universalism? <laughs> we are all not children of Abraham. So I'm just shocking you right off the bat here. Only those who by faith in Christ alone are children of Abraham. Everybody's not a child of Abraham. Now, the issue here, it has to do with the end of my sentence here, outward sign. Now, before we get to that, let's remind ourselves that we are talking about justification. The way you refute false teaching, which was going on in Galatia, is you focus on the true gospel. You point out the identifying marks of false teaching, but you don't focus there. You focus on the gospel. When you focus on the gospel, you dismantle a false gospel. So justification is the gracious act of God by which God declares a sinner righteous solely or only through faith in Jesus Christ. So let's go back to this outward sign. Here's the question. What is the identifying mark that signifies that one belongs to the people of God? The Judaizers, the people who were teaching at Galatia, were teaching that the mark of the children of Abraham was circumcision. 
So circumcision was not saying that you're, this is necessary so you can continue in your devotion to God. Here's what they were saying. It is required in order for you to belong to the people of God. Paul here is refuting it with the gospel by saying that the Holy Spirit is the mark that signifies that you belong to the people of God, not an outward sign. So our first point is the children of Abraham are the evident work of the Holy Spirit. We get to the word miracle in a moment. So Paul asked the Galatians a series of questions. So let's work through these questions one at a time and seek to apply them to our own hearts and understand them more clearly. Oh, foolish Galatians, explanation point. The word foolish here should come into your mind to mean mental laziness, that you're not really thinking, that you're just idly listening to what's going on. You're not, you're not thinking it through. You're not applying logic. You're, you're not logically working through it. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Now, Paul is not here talking about magic or sorcery. It's a metaphor. How, how did you get under the spell of the teaching of these Judaizers? How'd you get so enthralled with what they're saying? Now, I don't know this to be the, the case, but possibly and probably likely, they were very gifted speakers. They were probably highly educated people and they came across charismatically and they spoke from an educated point of view. So people just said, these people are so gifted and they're so smart, might as well believe what they're saying. And Paul's saying, it's like you're under a spell. It's like you've been bewitched. And here's the core issue. He just goes right from the beginning. It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Now, what does that mean? That Jesus was publicly portrayed as crucified does not mean that they had skits at the church at Galatia and somebody actually did a skit of what it looked like for Jesus to be on the cross. Here's what it means. It means that the cross of Christ was clearly and vividly communicated in the proclamation of the gospel. That both their hearts and their minds were moved as they understood that Christ died on the cross and that Christ died specifically for them. So we are saved when we hear and believe a rationally clear, heart-moving presentation of Christ's work on our behalf. Faith comes by hearing and a clear hearing. So here's the difference. The difference between the Judaizers and what Paul was preaching is they said, the law is telling you do this and you'll be saved. When the gospel says Christ has done it all, believe on him. Verse two, let me ask you only this. Did you receive the spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Let me rephrase the question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit because of something you did? Or did you receive the Holy Spirit through hearing with faith? And the answer is in Romans 10, 17. Faith comes by hearing and hearing from the word of Christ. The Spirit of God does not work apart from the gospel. 
The gospel is the channel and the form of the Spirit's power. The gospel must be proclaimed for the Spirit to work. Faith comes by hearing. So at the conversion, when we come to know Christ, the Holy Spirit is poured out on our hearts, Romans 5, 5. So that those who belong to Christ are genu- and are genuinely Christians have the Spirit of God dwelling in them. So conversely, let me say it clearly, the natural person or the non-Christian does not have the Holy Spirit. Only the person who by faith alone has trusted in Christ alone. When you trust in Christ alone, the Spirit authenticates your salvation and he functions as the guarantee that God is going to complete his saving work in you. Verse three, are you so foolish, having begun with the Spirit, that you are now being perfected by the flesh? In other words, he's saying, what are you thinking? What in the world are you doing? You're adopting a false view here. Now, this false view is alive and well today. It's in two parts. Part of it is correct. Part of it is false. So let's make sure we get it. Number one, that justification is through the Spirit and by faith. On face value, it appears that the Judaizers Judaizers would have argued for this, that it is through the cross we are saved. Their argument then would have moved to sanctification. That is the ongoing work of being made more like Christ, the work of the Spirit in us. They would have said sanctification is by works and human effort. Now, whether you heard this verbally in your past Christian experience or if you heard it overtly, it was actually said to you. This is basically the message in Christendom today. You need to believe on Jesus and get saved, but now it's up to you. Work hard. Give as much effort to this thing as you can. It's a quote. Both justification and sanctification are due to the Spirit's work. Both are the result of faith. It is one, if one bases his hope for this life or the next upon anything apart from Christ, you have placed your confidence in the flesh. Verse four, did you suffer so many things in vain if indeed it was in vain? Now we got to contextualize this. When the Galatians came to faith, it cost them something. Probably cost them their family. A lot of people, it cost them their job. Some people physically suffered and some people died in the first century as a result of becoming Christians. This is a foreign idea to most of us in this room. We've never really truly suffered for our faith, but times they are a changing. And as our society moves more and more rapidly towards secularism, the suffering of believers is increasing. Now, track with me on what I'm gonna say here. There's been a lot written on why young people in high school and college are leaving the church and leaving their faith. And a lot of what's written is casting the blame on the church. And I think we need to take some of it for our lack of discipleship and our lack of preparing young people. But let's all just be honest and lay it out there. The reason young people are walking away from their faith now in the 21st century is they know it will cost them something to live for Jesus in the world of college. 
They know it will cost them something to begin a career in a secular society. Suffering has returned and it will increase. And Paul says, are you suffering in vain? If, the salva if your salvation is not a work of God from first to last, then the preaching of the gospel is vanity. The cross of Jesus is a farce and the gift of the Holy Spirit means nothing. If this argument in verse four is true, and it is, then this ho-hum attitude, now track with me here, this ho-hum attitude, and I've had a couple people say this to me, Pastor, you're just kind of talking about the difference in denominations. No, I'm not. This is a gospel issue. We are the saved completely and totally by Christ and totally and completely kept by Christ or we are not saved. That's Paul's argument here. You put human beings into the equation, the cross is ludicrous then. That's his argument. It means nothing. It's just vain. But do you think God ends the verse this way? If indeed it was in vain. That's an appeal to repentance. He's saying, you know you didn't come to Christ in vain. Now, why are you adopting this worldly wrong mentality that you can do something to earn favor with God? Verse five. Does he who supplies the spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith, just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now Abraham enters into the equation. Now for the Jewish people, this was, it was already in the equation for the Gentile. Now we got to start grabbing our minds around and understanding it. So he's saying that the miracle working spirit of God was powerfully working in their midst. And he's saying he was working, the Spirit's working because the Galatians believed the gospel, not because they were observing the law. And he makes his appeal from Genesis 15, verse six, which says, he quotes it directly in verse six, that Abraham believed God and it was counted to him to righteousness. Now, Abraham was a very old man in Genesis chapter 15, Genesis 12 is when God first appears to him. He's 75. Now he's 90 or so. He's old. His wife is, is past child rearing years. And God says, you're going to have a son. And he takes him outside and he shows him the stars of the sky. And he says, your offspring will be as countless as the stars of the sky. And Abraham believed God. And because Abraham believed God, it was counted to him as righteousness. I'm not going to quote it because he uses a bunch of words we don't use, but I'm going to use a quote here from Martin Luther. So this is not original idea with me. Luther says, what God said to Abraham was impossible. It was absurd ridiculous that this old man and this barren old woman were going to have a child. And for those of you who look at Christianity and say, it's absurd. 
The Bible hearkens to Abraham who believed God. And Abraham believed God and God did what he promised. He gave him a son. Now I want you to notice this. It does not say, verse six, Abraham believed in God. It says Abraham believed God. According to James chapter two, verse 19, even the demons in hell believe in God. He's saying that Abraham trusted God. This is a quote from Tim Keller. You can't believe God without believing in God, but you can believe in God without believing God. So let me just be clear with you. If you're a person in here and say, well, you know, I believe in God, I'm kind of agnostic, I'm not really sure, but I'm not, I definitely don't, this whole Jesus thing, I'm not down with that. You're not a Christian. So let's just be clear, I hope you understand that. This is what the Bible's saying. Just say you believing in God does not make you a follower of Jesus. A Christian believes God's gospel. We, we believe what God has said. So, does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? So here's the argument. Is God doing miracles because you're doing good stuff? Then here, here's the real question for me. What's the greatest miracle that God could perform in this room today? You know what the answer is? You know what the answer to that question is? That he would save your soul. why I get upset when I hear some of the people who teach these miraculous things. If you listen closely, what they're saying that God could heal you from sickness is greater than what he could do to heal you from your sin. The greatest miracle that God can do is the miracle of salvation. The greatest miracle is that God would declare you righteous through Jesus Christ. And here's what he's saying. That is true of you, just like it's true of Abraham, that you believe God. You believe God through Christ. Now, he brings his argument together. The children of Abraham are those of faith. Now, why does he go to Abraham? Because Abraham is a biblical illustration of justification by faith. I need to give you a little history. There was a period of time from Malachi in your Bible to Matthew, 400 years past. God goes silent not speaking. Now that doesn't mean religious writing was not going on in the Jewish community. It's called intertestamental writing. The Christian church has rejected it. We do not include it in our Bible. Um, you're gonna get some places in college and they're gonna say, oh, here's the Apocrypha, it's left out of your Bible. We leave it out on purpose, okay? Because in this intertestamental writing, here's the stress. The stress is on faithfulness, not faith. So what these people were stressing was Abraham's faithfulness. You look at what Abraham, Abraham was circumcised. Abraham took his son up and offered him. So we need, to, we need to be like Abraham. We need to model ourselves after Abraham. We need to get circumcised. We need to be faithful. Paul's saying we need to have faith. 
Know then, it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. Only those of faith. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. To be of faith means that you're characterized, you are controlled by faith, that you trust God. That is the guiding principle of your life. Know then that those of faith who are the sons of Abraham and the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith. So faith alone makes a person a child of God. Now let me go back to our song. Abraham, many sons, many sons have father Abraham. Now here's a truth that song is teaching you. That salvation is for all people. Jews and Gentiles. And that's what he's affirming here. That, that God wasn't just going to save the Jews. That, that the scripture foresees, the scripture is pointing to from the beginning that God was going to save Jews and Gentiles. And it says the scripture foresaw. It preached beforehand to Abraham. So what did it foresee? What does this mean? It simply means this. The good news of salvation was going to be extended to all people, including the Gentiles, who would be declared righteous by God, just like Abraham, on the basis of faith. That means when we look and we see God's dealings with Abraham, we get a pre-Christ glimpse. So we interpret our Bible through redemptive history. So we look and see that what God is doing, he's opening up to us and explaining to us how he's redeeming mankind, which culminates in Jesus Christ. So we don't need to look back here at Abraham and say, well, God's doing something different with Abraham. No, he just wasn't fully revealing what he was doing with Abraham. But Abraham saw it. It was a glimpse, but he saw it and he believed. So you go back to the beginning. Christ was vividly portrayed for you. Wasn't a glimpse. You see who Christ is. So we believe. And that's why it's true to say, in you, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Genesis chapter 12, verse three says, in you, all the nations shall be blessed. Now I want you to think what God's doing right there in Genesis chapter 12. Abraham had done nothing to earn or deserve the promise God just gave him. Nothing. He was a pagan man from a pagan land. The first Jew was a Gentile. He wasn't from Israel. He was from the Ur of the Chaldeans. He was an Iraqi. God takes this pagan man from a pagan land, makes a promise to him that all of the nations of the earth are going to be blessed. All of this for Abraham and all the nations, it is all of grace. So Abraham puts his faith in the promise of God. Wasn't some abstract idea that he wrote out. He, he put his faith in the promise of God, believing that it was gonna culminate in the coming of the Messiah, in the coming of Jesus Christ. So friends, we are saved by faith alone. But, you go back to Abraham, our faith is never alone. Faith results in acts of faith. Not works. It results in acts of faith. 
Think of the faith of Abraham. When God says, pack it up and go to the land, I'm gonna show you. What does he do? He believes God and goes. Then God shows up and says, hey, old dude, you and your old wife are gonna have a baby. He believes. And then at 100 years old, roughly, God gives a child. And then God comes to him and says, take him up to the Mount Moriah and sacrifice him. And we know from Hebrews, Abraham takes him up there and is about to slay his son because this is what Abraham believes. He believes that God's gonna raise him from the dead. Why? Because God had made a promise that through Abraham, the nations of the world were gonna be blessed. He believed God. Quote, we often don't live radical lives because we don't have faith. People who are saved by grace alone through faith alone don't sit back and indulge in sin and the ways of the world just like everyone else. Why? Because they believe God. They're not only saved by grace through faith, but they also live by grace through faith. They risk everything because they know that God is good and that he is sufficient and that God satisfied. Quote, verse nine, those who are of faith, are blessed. Let me give you the verb tense. Present, passive, indicative. Are blessed. Those who are of faith are blessed. That means right now, all who are of faith trusting in Christ are at this moment, will be in the future blessed. It's indicative of your life. It indicates who you are. But don't miss the middle word I said. Anybody catch it? Present what? Passive has nothing, nothing to do with you. This blessing is all of God. Now, take your Bible and turn over to Romans chapter four. This is the growth group text. I'm just gonna read this and let it stand. I'm not gonna make comments on it. I'm gonna let you guys discuss the implications of this in your growth group. But remember, I said Galatians is Romans when Paul was mad. So he's not mad in chapter four, he's calm. So his argument comes out slower, but it's the same argument. He's confronting the same issue. People who believe they had to be circumcised to become a part of the family of God. Now watch what he does here. What shall we say was gained by Abraham, our our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the, of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from the works. In other words, this is not just a a message from Abraham. It's also from David. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed are the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? We say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as the seal of the righteous that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised so that righteousness would be counted to them as well. 
and to make him the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised, but also who walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. In other words, don't add something after you come to Christ by faith alone. Abraham wasn't adding. You don't need to add. So here's the so what. Let's, let's bring it in. Because circumcision, we don't have a Judaizer in Gastonia that's convincing people of something. All right? This isn't rampant. But you don't need to think for a moment that false teaching subtly and overtly is everywhere and you've been affected by it. So I'm going to ask this question. Am I trying to please God by what I do? You need to ask yourself this question. Am I trying to please God by what I do? I'm going to say this strongly to you and to me. We are all prone to this. Every last one of us in this room are prone to coming up with some formula that we can make God happy with us. This is legalism. Legalism says, do this. Whatever this is, fill in the blank and God is pleased with you. You do it, God's pleased. Now, I've identified four areas pastorally that I've dealt with over the last 30 years of ministry in the South. Here they are. Number one, fundamentalist legalism. Fundamentalist legalism says it is the cross plus keeping standards of do's and don'ts. Now, <clears throat> these standards of do's and don'ts switch with congregations. So, for example, if somebody smoked outside the church today, we'd all flip because you just don't smoke anymore. But when I was coming along, that was perfectly on the do list because they had like cigarette things outside the churches and everybody was okay. You with me? So there are different things. They move in and off the list as to what they can be. But it says you do these things or you don't do these things and, and God is pleased with you. Now, let me be careful here. We are all blessed by faith when we obey God. When we trust God at what he says and we walk in obedience by faith, we are blessed. The subtle difference is, if I do this, God's gonna like me. The motivation is entirely different. Number two, charismatic legalism. Charismatic legalism says it is the cross plus special gifts of the Spirit, particularly the gift of tongues. Now, why do I highlight this? Because for years, and I don't know if it's still there, I've not heard in the last five or six, there was a campus ministry and a church in Boone that when app students were up there, they would get exposed to this, they would get invited, and the teaching was that if you're truly a Christian, you're gonna speak in tongues. Now, what's the reverse of that? If you don't speak in tongues, then you're not a Christian. And I had to deal with so many young people over the years who became distraught in their faith because they would go to these services, they'd put them in a chair, people would moan and wail and cry and pray over them and they wouldn't. Some of them started to fake it. They knew they were faking it, that they weren't actually speaking in tongues. It was just tremendous guilt and shame on them. And the answer to that was not to confront the gift of tongues. The answer was to take them to the gospel. That's what I'm doing right now. I'm not, I'm not debating the spiritual gift of tongues. I'm taking you to the gospel. 
We don't add to the gospel. Number three, pietistic legalism. I know that's a big word. Here's what I mean. It's the cross plus spiritual disciplines. It goes like this. Well, I've had a great day today. I had my quiet time this morning. It goes like this. I've had a terrible today, day today and it dawned on me this afternoon. I didn't read my Bible this morning. So is that how it works? That God only blesses you when you get up in the morning and read your Bible for 15 minutes and pray? Is that it? That's the only way God blesses you then. Now hear me. Here's when you're blessed. You ready? You are blessed when you believe God's word. I guess I'm the only one that's done this. Read my Bible out of obligation, but didn't pay attention to what it said. I was just trying to rush through so I could check off the fact I read it this morning. I'm the only messed up soul in here, huh? Why do you pray? Get with me now. Why do you pray? Pray is an, prayer is an expression of faith. Prayer is saying, I believe you, God. Prayer is not a wrestling match for me to manipulate God to say, I prayed, so doggone it, you gotta do this. And there's a lot of that going on in this part of the world. Number four, evangelistic legalism. It's the cross plus evangelism. God's really pleased with people who witness. You've been in the Baptist church very long, you know, and we've, we put out these numbers, 5 million and 50, and you know, we, these things, we have, how many are you baptizing? You go to a pastor's conference, I'm gonna get asked that question within an hour. How many did you baptize this year? You know what my answer always is? I don't know. I don't know. People are getting baptized, I can tell you that, but I don't know. That's not a matter of God being happy with me or happy with you. Missionaries are not greater Christians. People who, who risk are not greater Christians. However, however, track with me here. The scripture says, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. That's an act of faith. Legalism says, do this and you please God. Legalism says, do this and you evaluate, you elevate yourself, excuse me, you elevate yourselves in, in God's eyes. If you do this, here we go now. If you do this, then God's got to give you in return. Now we're at it. Now let me confront this head on. Four years ago this month, my wife was in dire straits. She had liver cancer. Uh, she's now fine. So some of you are gonna ask me, she's fine. Uh, it, it, they were able to get it and it's gone and she's fine. But we didn't know that. And as people watched us walk through this, in this church, we had to field this conversation weekly. It went like this. I just don't understand why God would let y'all go through this. To which Celeste and I had to press in with people and say, what are you saying to us? Well, you know, y'all have done so much for God. We just don't understand why God would let you go through this. To which... I was not mean, and I had that conversation with some of you in this room right now. I was not mean, but I would say this. So you're saying to me 
because I'm a pastor and because I do religious duties weekend that God owes it to me that my wife's not sick? That's not Christianity. That's anti-gospel. The Bible teaches this, friends. The Bible teaches that, that we live in a broken, sinful world in a broken, sinful, deteriorating body that's going to die. I'm gonna tell you where God's grace was. God's grace was watching my wife walk by faith, not knowing if she was gonna wake up tomorrow morning. That's what faith does. Faith believes God. So here's my question to you. Are you blessed by faith? Paul, Paul says here, in, in this text, verse nine, that those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham. In, in, in Hebrews chapter 11, verse six, it says, and without faith, it is impossible to please him for whoever draws near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So here's what God's pleased with. God is pleased with faith. And faith is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, lest anyone would boast. It is the work of God that we trust and believe God. So, quote, we go on as we started, having our hearts melted and molded by knowing and trusting Christ crucified. We never move on from the gospel. We never can, and we never need to. Let's pray. I invite you to put your stuff down and out of your way. And uh, If you need to go, just give us a few minutes before you jump up. I just want you to ask yourself this question. Are you living off your feelings? Are you living off faith? Because one leads to blessing, the other leads to difficulty. And we're about to sing a song, you hold it all. This song is an expression of faith. Only those who are in Christ can express this. So if you are not a believer, I pray that right now that your expression of faith would be to repent of your sin, to turn to Christ who died on the cross in your place and to trust him alone for your salvation. And for those of you who are trusting in Christ, likely with a heart of repentance, that you would come now and say to the Lord Jesus, you hold it all. You hold everything. And most specifically, you hold me. So speak to your people now, Jesus. Do a work. Do a work of faith in us and through us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this audio presentation from Parkwood Baptist Church, located in Gastonia, North Carolina. Please feel free to share this message with others. 
For more information about Parkwood Baptist Church, visit parkwoodonline.org. That's parkwoodonline.org.